transition, it sounds like there's enough stuff and it's getting there. Is it because the bridges are down or there's not enough vehicles or trains or what is happening once it hits the ground? Is it getting held up in you know Poland? Where is the failure of the supply chain or the weakest link in the supply chain? Or there are multiple weak links possibly, but you know, I just when is this stuff going to get to the front lines? Thanks, August, for the question. Uh, I think Gurney as a and Portland uh, probably have an extensive answer for you. I just would like to uh, underline one little difference. Uh, is that you're com- comparing uh, uh, apples and banana trees in the sense that on the one hand we're talking about production and on the other hand we're just we're talking about delivery. Uh, so that's. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, I knew it was just it was just a funny funny analogy. Okay, okay, no, because yeah, I yeah, think yeah. The, the there's a great video that was posted, I think, by uh, President Macron himself of a Caesar being delivered by a Ukrainian um, Antonov plane. So. Uh, that was that was quite a, a sight, but yeah, Gurney, where where is the? Uh, I'll let Portland answer the. the, the, okay. the yeah, I'll let Portland answer the, the main Port- part of the question. I was just going to clarify one one part of your question, August, um, and I think it's it's uh, it maybe finally been answered or finally been clarified, um, and that some of the time frames that that you hear from the the Ramstein meetings, at least from the the U.S. spokespersons, um, they've seemed long. In, in some cases, uh, there was a background briefing and, and they sort of uh, definitively clarified that um, when they give the time frames, uh, I, I'm not going to comment on the length of it, whether it's long or short. I'm just going to say they finally gave some clarity that when they give those time frames, they mean from uh, the, the time from either when they start working on the request uh, to fulfilling it or putting it out for contract um, plus shipping it plus training on it, plus getting that into theater. Um, and so that might have confused some people. So if someone had, if if you had heard per se, uh, well, that'll take three months. Um, it gets a little confusing to think three months to procure it or three months to get it there or what is it? Um, and it was explained as, well, we're going to give you the comprehensive top to bottom approach. Um, and in, in most cases, um, I wouldn't say in uh, an average time, but the the, the worst time, uh, meaning worst case, we we believe it will take this long. Uh, but I just want to say it, it tends to get a little confusing because the numbers do seem long, um, but it's com- it's combined. So I I don't know how to break that down and say well it was a week in transit plus three weeks training. But I just wanted to clarify that when you see some of those numbers, um, it, it appears that they're talking total time uh, before you see it used in theater. So that also means after training, bringing it in theater. But anyways, uh, uh, I'll let Portland answer. Actually, Gurney, I think you you gave a pretty solid um, top-to-bottom uh, answer. If August would like more detail, I can go into it. But, like, that pretty well sums it up. So so there's once it gets to uh, the Ukraine, there's no supply chain issues or no issues to getting the equipment or the weapons where it needs to go? So the weapons are shipped in via Poland. The Poles handle transport to the Ukrainian border. The Ukrainians handle it from there. And the Poles are doing a genuinely tremendous job for which they are not being thanked enough. Uh, sorting all of this stuff, figuring out where it needs to go and making sure that it gets to the right people 
in the right place as quickly as possible. They are doing truly stellar work. Okay, so it's just that enough equipment and artillery just hasn't gotten there yet, and that's why it's not reaching the front lines? Well, there's a couple of components to the problem. Uh, the first thing is is that most of the equipment that we were able to deliver on almost zero notice was stuff that was already pre-positioned in Europe um, with U.S. Army and U.S. Marine Corps units already in Europe. Now, there are larger pre-positioned stocks in case of an outbreak of a wider war, but um, actually U.S. national law and uh, solemn international treaties means that we can't dip into those stocks. We're, we're sort of running low on stuff that is already in Europe that we can send. That said, there are a number of ships from the U.S. Navy's uh, Military Sealift Command that I can usually find. I usually know where these ships are, and they are completely off the radar. So that is telling me that there is something like 135,000 tons of equipment um, at some phase of transit. Um, somewhere between the east coast of the United States and Poland. Well, that's good to know. Well, thank you, guys. I will drop down. Thanks a lot, August. It's always good to, to hear your questions. And that was a great question. You should always care about uh, logistics. Liberal, do you find your microphone back? Yes, I did, Delvin. Thank you. Um, Portland, Snake Island. I know that Snake Island has a special place in your heart. Can you speak to that? Um, well, you know, it's just a very beautiful place, and I would like to spend all of my holidays there. Do you want to call it Gibraltar 2, Portland? Uh, Gibraltar 2, Dead Russian Boogaloo? No, nobody else thought that was funny. Okay. I thought it was really funny. Sorry, Portland. Um, before we go to Snake Island, because I think we're going to spend like an hour on Snake Island, maybe literally, uh, could we... Uh, Portland, could you just please explain why making gun barrels is so difficult that only like 100 M777 barrels are made every year, etc.? Because I think that for most people, it's like, it's a pipe. Why is it so hard to make a pipe? Please explain. Okay, so you've basically got three ways that you can make large metal components. You can cast them, but casting them, frankly... Um, gives you all sorts of problems with differential cooling, which gives you fairly serious problems with fault lines and slumping and uh, crystalline irregularities in the, in the structure of the, uh, of the metal. Basically, if you imagine pouring, I don't know, 200 pounds of steel into a mold, um, the, the steel... Uh, the liquid steel at the bottom is going to cool faster than the liquid steel at the top. Um, and that is, that is going to contract, uh, and you're going to wind up with slumping and, and voiding, uh, partway through, uh, partway through your casting. So that's a giant pain in the ass. Um, you can, 
start with um oh let me think um you can stamp um you can stamp components out of steel but like uh good luck stamping a gun barrel that's not going to work um you 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 know you've got a bunch of different options in practice uh what you have to do to make metal for a gun barrel is that all of the other potential ways that you could make it are completely impossible now casting a gun barrel is bloody difficult but it's not totally impossible you've just got to do things in a couple of fairly challenging ways uh the first thing that you have to do is you have to start with a heated mold um you're going to inject hot metal into a uh into a a casting mold under quite high pressure you're going to make sure that the mold cools um at a predictable and even temperature over a fairly extended period of time and then you are going to take that gun um uh that that great big casting and you have to machine off all of the imperfections and then machine it down to round then you have to take this very large chunk of very hard steel um which then has to be cryo treated um well actually i've missed out a step um first you have to anneal it then you have to go through a process called deformation where you you're heating it part way up and then putting it under quite considerable amounts of pressure so that you can get the crystalline structure of the barrel to be perfectly uniform um all the way through then you anneal it again then you cryo treat it um and <laughs> this is the thing that is really difficult because now you've gone through all of these processes you've got an extremely strong gun barrel right but you know what you don't have down the middle of that gun barrel a hole no, t- oh no hole there's no hole it's now very hard steel and you can't drill the hole before you cryo treat it so now you have to put this extremely hard piece of steel um on a very very carefully and and millimetrically precise lathe and bore out the breech using um very carefully cooled uh flood cooled um tungsten carbide bitted uh machine tools you just put it on a big lathe basically stick a big boring bar and the boring bar has um a bunch of stabilizers in it to make sure that there is absolutely no deviation in that boring bar and this requires just incredible structural uh strength you've got to have this thing perfectly rigid 
Okay. And you're like, okay, cool. Now I have, uh, now I, I've bought out all of this extremely hard steel with this extremely tough boring bar and this, uh, you know, very, very, very sharp, very hard tungsten carbide bit, which is extremely expensive and which, by the way, is good for precisely one gun barrel. Um, anybody who ever has to buy machine tools knows what a tungsten carbide um, boring tip costs. They are frighteningly expensive. Um, well, now you have to rifle the damn thing, um, which is done with yet another set of boring bars, and um, you can only cut the, the, the grooves one at a time. You've got to cut 36 of them. Um, this is very time-consuming. This takes a long time. Then you've got to take this gun barrel, put it in a giant plasma oven that is about the size of the room I'm standing in right now, um, to be heated up um, to a certain point that I don't know exactly how hot it is, but it is hot enough to form a plasma with gaseous chrome, um, for the chemical vapor deposition process for chrome lining the inside of the barrel. Um, and frankly, I can tell that a significant part of our audience has passed out from sheer boredom uh, in the time that it has taken me to explain this. Can you imagine how hard it is to actually do it? I, I'm going to disagree with Damon again. I, I'm absolutely riveted by this, actually. No, I said nonsense. I had I said nonsense to his idea that people got bored and passed out. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I, I should have said. No, we agree. I'm gonna, I'm, we agree. I'm going to concur with Damon here that that I disagree that we're you're boring us, Portland. Oh, I mean, you know, I'm I am I am a man deeply aware of his own boringness. So, uh, yeah, this is a this is a massively complicated process, and I am honestly quite surprised that they can get all the way to a hundred a year. Uh, they're, they're, they're murderously hard to make. Okay, I've got a, I've got a follow-up, but maybe Granny wants to add something. My follow-up is, what are the Russians doing differently? Because I bet their system is less precise and less time-consumptive, but it's also why their guns are way more off on accuracy and stuff. But I'm sure that Granny has a follow-up um, to explain it, explain first, and then we can move to the Russian comparison or the Soviet comparison. Well, Dom, I think, I think my question's actually in a similar vein to, to yours right there. Um, and, and that's, so, uh, okay. So in a peacetime period, um, we, we produce these highly specialized, at least from the Western perspective, we produce these highly specialized, highly uh, precise weapons uh, that, that need a multitude of inputs, some, some domestic and some outside of your domestic supply chain. Um, so if you, you plan for, for certain things, uh, you know, there's, you can stockpile parts and things like that. Um, but just to, just to ask a question, Portland and, and Dom answered it, you know, asked it there about the, the, the Russians, um, part of my head says, well, okay, you can build up all these Abrams and, and howitzers and the specialty, um, and you can make contingency to hopefully have enough spare kit and parts and pieces. But my head, my head wonders if we're missing a potential dual track and maybe not a dual peacetime track, but at least 
getting equipment up and running or having the tools and dyes and the processes and the plans. And what I mean by that is, is um, those weapons are, are hyper precise, hyper accurate. Um, they're costly. There's fewer of them. Therefore, you can spare you, you can spare to lose fewer of them. And, and my head keeps wondering, I, I get the specificity angle, um, but sometimes just a dumb tube throwing things down range uh, is sometimes just as good as the precise one. And I don't mean they can replace each other. I just mean sometimes we're, we miss the ball in terms of uh, and we haven't experienced wartime production. So so if I go to World War II and I say some of the best bombers never made it off of the drawing board or out of production because they simply couldn't be produced at the time or were produced too slowly. So they took, uh, you know, the, 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 those that could get produced. I, I don't claim that uh, a wooden glider landing in, in France um, is a great idea. But if you are out of good ideas and you're out of great ideas, well, it's an okay idea. And it's an okay idea that, that enables your goal. Uh, yes, more human risk. Yes, yes, there's a lot more. But part of me wonders if, if we miss the ball here in terms of, you know, because we're talking uh, tonight about, you know, the, the self-propelled guns production, and you're talking about the barrels. Um, and, and all of that specificity makes sense to me. Uh, but if you're in a situation where the your your world, so to speak, is upside down in terms of your production capacity, uh, hard things become extremely difficult and simple things become difficult. So I'm just wondering, you know, uh, what if there's any utility to that argument to say, you know, should should there be uh, simplistic uh, contingencies uh, or uh, is it all eggs in the basket on, on hyper precise, hyper specific weapons, whether it's, you know, aviation or, or guns? Uh, I just you know wanted to ask your thoughts there. I think that's in the, the vein of Doman's question. Well, I mean, that's a that's a, a good and, a, and it's a legitimate question, but it, it strays into the realm of economics and you've kind of got people on the panel, people that come in that are probably more competent to answer that question than I am. Um, but let me respond uh, partially to your question with a question, right? Um, M777 is the lightest most accurate, longest-ranged um, towed howitzer, uh, 155-millimeter towed howitzer ever developed. It can be moved by a single Humvee. Um, it can shoot accurately out to 35 kilometers. Um, and we are looking at things from a perspective where we are judging our uh, the the availability of our latest generation of equipment against Russian kit that has been stockpiled for 80 years. And we're wondering um are we are we being outproduced? And the simple answer is no. Russia is running out of caliber cruise missiles. They cannot build any new tanks. They, uh, they haven't produced um, a worthwhile first-rate modern artillery piece in the last 10 years. 
they've just got 80 years worth of 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 just shit it's shit but there's a lot of it there is a lot of that shit um you know if if you stockpile 80 years worth of shit and then throw it at a country one third your size um that country is gonna have a hard time and i don't think it says anything i think the the fact that you know we're killing russian artillery at 10 to 1 right those are incredible odds that is the best military one of the best military performances in history it's just that the russians have 17 times more artillery you know if if the enemy's coming at you with 17 times more artillery you're going to have a hard time and i don't think it's an indictment of our obsession with precision and quality uh and the ability to strike accurately with minimal casual uh, uh collateral damage from as far away as possible i, I don't think it it, it 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 can be read that way i think that what we are looking at here is the functional equivalent of discovering that you are up against the neighborhood psycho who's been stockpiling machine guns in his basement for the last 20 years you know like i carry a sidearm i have a concealed handgun permit um I have taken all reasonable precautions against threats that I I might have to handle. But, you know, if John Rambo turns up with an M60, I'm going to have a bad day. Thank, thank you, Portland. I, I think that was uh, that, that, but I, 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 I wasn't trying to make a, an indictment there. I was just, uh, I, I, I appreciate your insight, and that's why I thought asking the question of you um, in terms of that. And you put that in you put that in a really good perspective in terms of uh, in terms of what they're they're up against. So thank you. Uh, thank you. I mean, I, I wasn't offended. You know, I'm 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 British. I've got a sharp tongue. I just you know I I, I like to make my my point as pointed as possible. I'm I'm just going to remember to get a uh, hundred schoolyard kids with some baseball bats to uh to surround you one of these days i mean that would be very bad for me but it would be really really bad for the first 22 of those schoolyard kids you thanks portland <laughs> i'm i'm laughing on mute i'm just i'm me trying too. to keep it off <laughs> um let's go to aaron and then to luca uh but thanks really th- thanks a lot for, for explaining these uh these barrels because uh, you have no idea how many people will be asking you about them it's just like no it's you know it's probably special steel and it's hard to make and, and really precise so it must be really hard to make but well, I, in, i'm really glad to get a proper explanation in in dumb if i could just add there too i i I think I don't know how credible the report was. Uh, there was something to the degree of uh, they're potentially using um, uh, or they potentially worn 10 barrels. And that's why you saw some of the, the 10 barrel number replacement in the last tranche of, of weapons. I don't know how much credibility that statement gives, uh, but but uh, but the, the the statement was predicated by uh, the, the, the they were using them um, so much. Uh, that they had potentially worn out those those um, new barrels. Again, I don't know the validity of that, but I do know that there were there were ten new barrels, uh, and that someone had made that statement that they were uh, using them separately. So, so there's actually there's a pretty good reason for that. A um, the M triple seven barrel will typically last, you know, ten twelve thousand rounds, uh, but if you start 
the thing that the Ukrainians are doing is they're firing almost every fire mission from triple seven at charge super. And that tends to wear your barrels out really fast. So, you know, um, that these guns are being used at the absolute limit of their capability and, and, you know, wear and tear is inevitable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No. And, 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 it also, if you're shooting at 10 times the amount of targets, too, I mean, it's inevitable that you're, you're using the gun uh, in a period of time. I mean, clearly, they've, they've shot through quite a bit of ammo. Um, but, yeah, thank you. Thank. Thanks, guys. Um, Aaron. Yeah, morning, Domon. Um, just to give a little update, um, I don't know if anybody's seen this, but um, a, tug, a Russian tugboat has been targeted near Snake Island. Okay, tell us more. Okay, I think Portland is chomping at the bit, literally. Portland? Oh, no, I am super excited. I want all the juicy details. Um, I'll upload it to the um, to the NASA. It'll be easier for people to have a look then. So, um, it's apparently it's uh, Spasatil Vasily Bech, apparently, supposedly, that got struck. Uh, Spasatil means like savior, uh, something along those lines. Um, so that's uh, that's what got that's what got struck according to the Ukrainian Navy, presumably by an anti-ship missile. Presumably, the Ukrainian Navy says that's who they struck. Surely they can tell us what they struck it with. Okay, but looks like drone footage to me. It's very interesting, anyway. Very interesting. Um, where can I find this? I will DM it to you in a second. It's it like four people just DM me. Donny and Oton will be going off the nut now. Now I'm I'm gonna at Portland. I'm gonna uh, ask a question here. So it looks like it was a uh, some sort of rescue type tug. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a transloader or the crane one. Uh, it looks like well very large for a tug, but small for the crane. So I'm wondering if um, if it was struck, but it, if it was going to the island responding to something else. Again, that's that's complete speculation. It could have just been going by itself uh, and offloading using the crane it has. But I'm I'm wondering if. Uh, if they sunk something else in place and so they sunk they, the rescue. Apparently, if it is the right one, it has a little crane on it, but I don't know what that's used for. Maybe it's just used for like a little boat or something. Um, and also, apparently, it has previously been seen transporting a tour on the back of it, uh, or maybe it now had a tour on it, according to OSINT Technical. Um, I'm sure that you know our, our guys can um, confirm more details, but... Yeah, I'm uh, I'm watching the video now, and uh, yeah, this is this is good. I am actually, honestly, quite surprised that the uh, Ukrainians can operate what looks like a TB2 this close to Snake Island. Uh, I'm not sure what the deal there is. Uh, I think let's go to Luca, and then we will swing back to the Snake Island for a big discussion of it. How about that, Luca? Luca. There we go. Uh, Luca, we can't hear you. I see your mic is unmuted, but no sounds coming through. Disconnect, reconnect, and we'll get you back up. I've got the Bayraktar song stuck in my head now, watching that video. Good. So Excellent song. I, oh, I was going to say, I, there's a comment on the video, but I'll wait if Luca's uh, speaking. No, we're, we're still trying to get him back up. We're going to go ahead. Uh, so just while you're taking a look at that, Portland, it looks like there's a... It looks like a pair of missiles uh after the first explosion it looks like there's still a second one incoming so uh it, it looks like this might have been a tandem set i, I don't know if that's uh indicative of c spear uh i thought the last neptune strike was a was a 
dual strike. Uh, but take a look at that as you see it coming in because it was uh, maybe about a five-second delay. Yeah, I see both missiles coming in. The interesting thing is, is that that is an awful big bang for for a single missile impacting on a tugboat. Um, there is something afoot here, and I don't yet know exactly what it is. So, Portland, if you had, say, a tour, a fully loaded tour on the back of it, would that cooking off look about similar? Um, possible. I don't know yet. Uh, the the quality of the video isn't super high, and um, uh, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I need to watch this a bunch more and see what I can figure out. Thanks, Brooklyn. Did you posted that video? Um, I'll DM it to you, Luca. But yeah, it's up in the nest, actually. It's up in the nest. Aaron just put it up. Uh, okay, Luca, while you're looking at that, we can go to Gurney and we'll go back to you. Gurney. Yeah, no, I'm just uh, audio prompting Portland while he's looking at the video. Um, I, I, I've seen some videos purposely degraded or, or purposely ambiguous, so you can't tell the, the source of the collection method. But Portland, while you're looking at that, um, I, I, it, it may be a, a TB2, uh, but something seems different to me in terms of uh, it doesn't seem as close. And the reason I say that, I, I could be completely wrong here. I'm speculating. Uh, the the focal point doesn't seem to be as close because I can't I can't notice um, uh, the movement of the camera uh, like the TB2 when it's closer to its observation target. Again, could be wrong, could be a TB2, but I'm wondering if this is a platform, if this is a visual platform that's much further away. Uh, hence the apparent um, it, the, 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 there doesn't seem to be motion of the platform itself. Uh, and the camera is staying uh, incredibly stabilized. A, a little bit different maybe than the, the TB2 stuff, but but maybe I'm reading too much into that. No, I, I agree, Gurney. I was going to raise that, but I thought Portland maybe noticed something that made them sure that it's a TB2. Um, I would think it's something much smaller and much further away. Portland? Uh, yeah, I tend to concur. I was initially assuming that it had to be TB2, Um but I don't actually think that it is. Uh, I am trying to figure out what is going on with this. Um, I, 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 uh, you guys, like, uh, talk amongst yourselves for a minute. I'll be, I'll be back with you guys in a minute when I've when I've got something to say that doesn't make me sound like a complete idiot. Sounds good, um, Luca. Let's uh, discuss, you know, risotto, tartufi, wine, etc. Oh, yeah, I found the video. I'll look at it and then we can talk about that. But my question was, well, okay. So I have a question and then I have a story. Should I start with the question? Let's start with the story. So it shows the time. Ah, yeah. So both are based on economics. I think Portland is going to like this one. He probably already knows. The story, I'll keep it quick. It goes as follows. I'm not an aeronautical engineer. I'm like an electronics engineer, but all my roommates were aeronauticals, and they told me to go to attend this like class of like uh, um, basically airframe structural design at the Politecnico in Torino when I was in Italy because this professor was 92 years old and he was def- he was he was. Uh, it was like originally one of the designers for our beloved uh, dictator uh, Benito of the Fiat, of the Fiat uh, Avio airplanes. And this guy had super interesting war stories. Anyways, one, 
So one story that the guy told us, and I think you guys probably know about it, but to me it was super interesting, is that one reason why the battle for... So this is very economics related. That's why then it, it ties into the discussion about those gun barrels and precision and cost. But anyway, the story goes like this. One interpretation of why the Royal Air Force um, was able to win against, uh, uh, you know, the Luftwaffe, um, you know, the battle of, uh, of the, over the skies of England, was that the, <clears throat> so, so the guy told us like this, basically like the Germans had better airplanes because they designed them like Mercedes-Benz. And so those things were like designed to um, basically like fly, I'm just going to make up numbers, right? They, they would fly like, you know, a hundred missions, right? But the British were like, wait a moment, you know, unfortunately, you know, for the Battle of, uh, of England, I think that's how it was called, um, the average uh, number of missions before, um, you know, an airplane gets shut down was like something like five. Okay, I'm making up numbers, but like it's something order of magnitude. And so what they did is that they designed a purposely inferior airplane, okay, uh, but that uh, because of that it was much less expensive and, and they could build more, more. So the Germans were like, no, no. Oh, no, did we lose Luca? Yeah, I'll, I'll let him know. Um... Um, ben, if you have something for us right now, that'd be great. I, I think I see Portland's hand. Portland. Hello. So the missile coming in appears to be coming in pretty slow, which suggests that it's not sea spear or brimstone. It looks like it, it, it could quite plausibly be uh, Neptune. The other thing that I noticed is that if you watch the video really, really slow down, the interesting thing is, is that there is a moment where you can see the flames licking up against the back of the superstructure because the ship itself wasn't struck with the first round. Whatever was sitting on its flat deck at the back, that was what got hit by the first round. That goes up um, really quite spectacularly, um, much more spectacular than you would expect from a warhead the size of a Neptune. Um, so I think the Ukrainians just managed to, I'm not sure what the second round hits, um, but there's, there's a couple of very interesting heat trails that go off that make me think that it is possible that those might be missiles cooking off. So I think that it's possible that uh, uh, the Ukrainians just hit an attempted reinforcement of Snake Island. There's another video. Oh, yay. Can I see? I'll DM it. Is the one that Aaron did you just sent me, right? That's correct, yeah. And question to you, Portland, while, while that's happening, if, if I may. Don't okay, me. you have it. Go uh, for it. So... Portland, what did you think about the the angle? So when I see the the, the perceived height of the viewing platform uh, and the perceived stability of the viewing platform, uh, and what I mean by that is is that the the foreground doesn't seem to be moving. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so so meaning it, it to me it implies that the the viewing object is much much further away. Uh, would would you disagree or agree with that? No, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that this is being viewed from a very significant distance away. Uh, that's part of what causes the 
foreshortening of the view, which makes it very hard to determine the actual scale of the object struck, uh, which was why I had to look up the vehicle, the, the vessel in question and figure out exactly how long it was so that I could determine how big the fireball was. And, and also along with that, did you notice, uh, I noticed there was a small heat signature on the back. I couldn't tell if that was the object itself uh, or if there was a, a thermal signature on the back of it, but there looked like a dot. Um, I'm, I'm assuming, I mean, this could be fake. It could be, this could be a different capture, but I mean, they, they could make it look like it's uh, it's thermal. But um, I noticed a, a, a dot before the, the object itself went up. I noticed that too. I can actually see it in the other video. It is not immediately obvious what that is. I, my guess is, is that this is a thermal imaging um, image because that seems to roughly correspond to the, to the location of the funnel up the back of the superstructure. So that might just be the exhaust. Damn, that is a big bang. Uh, silly question for the second video. Which uh, could someone send me that DM for the second video? Okay. Yeah. So... One second. Okay. Sorry. Um, anybody who wants to view it is, is going to be up in the nest. Fantastic. So notice how the explosion from the first missile is is really really spectacularly large. It's. Uh, fills almost the middle quarter of the screen. The second projectile comes in, um, impacts, and the plume is, I would say, probably a third of the size of the first plume. So whatever it hit was something that violently disagreed with being hit. Yeah, and you can see those cook-off trails again. Yeah, I think the Russians maybe just lost a tour or something like that. That's what they said was on it, yeah. Actually, on this second video, if you get to the... Hmm, let's see if I can find it again. Yeah, right there. At around the 18 to 19 second mark, you can see a dense white smoke trail that is beginning to spiral away from the... Uh, uh, from the center of the explosion. That's consistent with a butadine acrylonitrile cooking off and uh, expelling a missile from the tube without guidance. <laughs> Excellent. Good news. Now, Portland, another question for you here. Uh, what, what do you think of the trajectory of the two projectiles? Did they, they, they look similar, but I don't perceive them as identical. Um, thoughts on, on the trajectory of the two? Um, so whatever they are, they are some form of sea-skimming missile. Uh, there was no bunt. There's no notch. Um, they don't dive from the top. Um, exactly what kind of missile? I don't know. But they're coming in too widely separated to be sea spear. The thing that you find with Sea Spear is that they will um, they will dogleg against one another and come in from 90 degrees or 180 degrees apart if they can, and they tend to come in simultaneously. Um, 
My guess would be Neptunes. Um, but it is just a guess because all I have to go on that is it's a flat trajectory with no bunt. And um, the interesting thing is, is that the motor is still ignited at the moment of impact, which means that it is a jet-driven missile, not a rocket-driven missile. Could, Portland, could you say that last bit again, uh, why, why you believe it's a jet-driven missile, not rocket? Uh, I, I missed that part. Well, um, missile-driven projectiles usually have a relatively short burn period at the beginning of the trajectory, and then they coast the rest of the way in. So by the time you get to impact, you usually have a, a cold nozzle. What we're seeing here is that this thing still has a hot nozzle. It, it's running its motor all the way into the point of impact that would tend to indicate um, a jet-driven system rather than a rocket system that has burnt itself out. Um, Portland, some question on this. How mm-hmm. long, okay, say, say, let, let, let's say we have a hypothetical rocket-driven missile that has a range of 100 kilometers. Mm-hmm. How many kilometers in does the rocket motor cut out? Well, I can guess give... it always cuts out at the same point, right? Yes, it's it spent does. at the same point. I can give you a a, a single really good solid example. Um, the rocket motor of the Sidewinder missile burns for seven seconds. Okay, so no time at all. But that's not a sea skimming missile because it's that's because it's yeah. And it doesn't have a 100-kilometer range, right? It has like a 7-kilometer range or something. Oh, I think the latest generation are good to about 20. Okay, sure. But what I was getting at is, say you have a Harpoon. Is a a Harpoon rocket-driven? No, Harpoon has a rocket booster for use from shore batteries, and then a turbojet sustainer takes over. Is there anything that's rocket-driven that's sea-skimming and has, like, 100-odd kilometer range? Not with 100 kilometers of range, no. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so, because you, wouldn't, you, you would drop off at that point. Yeah. Right? Okay, so, so it's also jet just because it's 40 kilometers out, basically. And it's sea-skimming and 40 kilometers out, it has to be jet. So two reasons why, not just one. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure there are exceptions to the rule, but, like... Yeah, more or less, that's accurate. I can't remember any of them off the top of my head. Okay, no, because what I was getting at is, if you have, you know, say a hypothetical 100-kilometer range sea-skimming rocket-driven missile, you're going to have to keep the rocket motor up for 50, 60, 70 kilometers. And yes, if it would hit at 100 kilometers, sure, then at that point the nozzle would be cold. But if it's if it would hit at forty kilometers, it would still be going because the rocket doesn't know to cut out because the rocket just goes for as long as it can, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely accurate. The one thing that you will find on rocket-driven missiles is that um, because they um, okay, so uh, specific impulse. Specific impulse is basically the measurement of how much mass of, of propellant you have to eject to produce a certain amount of force, right? 
So a jet engine has an effective specific impulse, depending on the type of jet engine, of somewhere between like 6,000 and 9,000 seconds. Solid rocket motor has a specific impulse of probably around 195 seconds. So if it was a still burning solid rocket motor, um, you would, you would, if you were looking at it through a thermal imager, you would expect to see a large plume of ejector. Um, and um, that's, that's just, that's just not there. What I'm seeing is a relatively small hotspot moving reasonably slowly um, and still lit at the point of impact. So that's why I'm saying, you know, it looks like it's turbojet driven. So I'm guessing it's a Neptune. Could also be a harpoon. Do harpoons always bat? Um, almost always. Um, that said, the bunt behavior is software defined. There's no no reason why you couldn't just tell it not to. Okay, perfect. Sorry, gentlemen. Um, Gurney, go ahead. Then I really want to hear the rest of Lucas' story. Uh, did did I miss the description of bunt, Portland? Could you do that? And then I have a, a question actually about the video, but I must have missed the bunt description. Oh, a bunt is what happens when a missile, as it closes to the target, will suddenly climb very steeply to get a better view of the target, uh, to acquire it with its radar seeker, and then dive down to attack the target through the deck. Uh, okay. Um, so, sorry, I I didn't know it by that term. Sorry. Okay. Um, can yeah. I? My, so my question to you is, and I, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with uh, with with the second video. Actually, it shows quite quite a bit of detail in the um, uh, in the in the, the data on the screen, compass direction, uh, even inclination angle of the of the viewing platform. So you're you're the math guy, Portland, but it looks like it's negative uh, three, negative four degrees. So if it's if it's looking down at that height and it's only got a negative three, negative four. Uh, degree and then it, it's got the azimuth I, I can't tell what the azimuth is um, but I mean that that looks to me like it's pretty well off and and, and I haven't looked at the Bayraktar screens but um, I'm also seeing a pulse and a disarm so so I I think this is a targeting platform uh, that's that that may not be a Bayraktar I, I could be wrong with that but um, I'm sure you could do the math to, to figure out you know, to estimate the, the object size, uh, if it's if it's gimbaled cameras only looking down at at, at uh, three, it changes between three and four, but mostly three to get a viewing angle like that. That seems like it's got to be pretty far off. Yeah, let me do. Uh, can I just say that it's definitely a TB two because they are, you can you can definitely target from at least seventy kilometers away. Yeah, and and they, I'm surprised they left all that in there because you can see the pulse disarm. So, so it, it, I don't think this is a viewing platform. I think it's actually marking. I think it's both observing and um, and potentially marking. Exactly the same as they did against the Moscow with a TB2. Oh, so Aaron, are you saying this is this is a TB2? Yeah, I reckon so. I reckon so. What other things do they have in uh, infantry that could that, that could that could do this? So, um, uh. John, our regular, um, says that the missile behaves like an exocet. He doesn't say it is an exocet, but he says the missile behaves like an exocet. I mean, exocet is kind of the uh, 
the model in many ways for the behavior of a lot of sea skimming anti-ship missiles, Neptune, Harpoon, Exocet, they, they all tend to behave more or less the same way. Uh, so, yeah, I concur with that. Great. Um, sorry, Luca, please continue your story. We, we will have people look into more details. You got cut off at the Germans went no, no. Um, did, did, did I, did I say, did you get like the thing about the design of the airframes for the Battle of England? Yeah, you were saying how the the RAF went for the cheap stuff that they could mass produce, and then Germans said went no no, and then you oh got... yeah, they went no no. We we're gonna keep on making Mercedes Benz of the sky, but uh, because of that, anyways, you know they they can last a hundred mission, but they get shut down after five anyways, and and now their production and their economics are all messed up, and uh, and you know and that's the end of it, you know. That's that was the story I I learned back then, which I thought it was pretty interesting. Portland, do you confirm or deny since you're British? Um, I'm sorry, I was trying to do complicated math. I was not paying any attention. What was the question? Right. So the the economics. I can the... I can confirm. Oh, you can confirm. I I've read this in in several books, basically the same stuff. Yeah, and how the Germans failed because they were they were making this really artisanal instead of uh, production line method. And then not just for planes, but for everything. Okay, all right. Well, the reason why it was important to have Portland on board is because this story was the warmer upper for my question, right? And uh, I remember you guys were talking about artillery and how they are hard to produce these guns and they're like really accurate, but like really probably slow and expensive, but like especially is the slow part. And then some other people in the audience were saying, why don't we make stuff that is like more crappy, but we can make more? Now I'm going to add another layer to it, right? Because you can just make it crappy like the Russians and, and then it's just crappy, um, lots of crappy stuff. But now there is another layer, right? See, see the trend with Bayraktars. And then what I learned yesterday from Portland was these crazy um, uh, brimstones, right? Like, and they're just 100K, like literally spinach. Because when you think that, when you think about the, the what's it called, the Excalibur, right? Here the Excalibur is like 400k. But, but now, but, but it's precise, right? But now, but now you still need the gun. So you're spending 400k, which is four times more than the Brimstone. And you're still doing all the crazy boring, uh, uh, you know, to make the gun. So now I'm thinking, at which point, maybe not for this uh, uh, war, or maybe for this war too, huh? Um, you know, at which point are we just going to say the hell with it? Um, let's just make, uh, you know, a hundred thousand, uh, um, you know, streamline uh, missile system like the Brimstones. And let, we're just going to drive the cost down of it. But those things are smart, right? They talk to each other. They're like hyper precise. They swarm. And then um, and then that's it, you know. So the economics of it, you know. Um, but. You know where 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 does this narrative go wrong? I mean, or or is there any any anything to it? Um, a very kind viewer, and I apologize for interrupting, has just sent me um, official confirmation from the Ukrainian Navy saying that they have struck uh, a tugboat carrying a Tor missile system um, uh, on its way to Snake Island. So. Um, Wait, is that the tweet from uh, Veskovo Morski Sili Zbrojny Sili Ukraini? Uh, UA underscore Navy? Yes, it is. 
Yeah, Aaron put that up in the last like fifteen minutes ago. Oh, sorry. okay. Well, yeah. sorry, not paying attention. Sorry. Sorry, I just thought it was amusing. Yeah, yeah, they said they uh, they did the official confirmation already. Yeah, uh, what they didn't say is what they struck it with. So, which is interesting. Yes, let's uh, leave the Russians guessing, right? Which is uh, which is good, I think. And they said there was a tour on it as well, uh, which which is consistent with everything you've observed, right, Portland, with the with the cook-off. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's probably good that I didn't see their statement before I did my own assessment because I think that might have biased me. But I'm fairly pleased that I can still identify a tour cooking off. Um, Excellent. From- Larry thermal imaging uh, picture. All right, Portland, are you, are you, were you, uh, you, you were doing math, you said. Were you doing the math on the, the angle if you assumed the, the platform was like 30,000 feet or we could take a different one at negative three, declinate, you know? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do right now. Um, but I'm having some difficulty because I I need to figure out exactly how big this fucking boat is. While uh, first, what what if we could, uh, just to shorten it for you? Could you shorten it and start with uh, just an assumed known height, just to to help clue you in? Like if you said, okay, this the, the TB twos are known to do thirty thousand or twenty four thousand. I don't know if that helps shorten it for you. Yeah, I mean, I could do it that way, but uh, I I like starting with things that I know for sure are correct and accurate, and then seeing where it takes me. And and for reference out there, I think I I think I was expecting that answer from from Portland, but uh, that's a pretty big tugboat. Uh, it doesn't look like it's a tug rescue boat, so that's actually not a, a regular small tug. That's a, quite a big boat, actually. If if that's the one in the pictures that's that's being linked, that's claimed to to have been hit, but yeah, that's a a big tug rescue. They're gonna need a bigger boat. I guess nobody took your George reference. <laughs> I just I laugh on mute. I've I've learned that I need to do that with Portland because he's he's pretty damn funny. You are the only person ever to say that. Um, mind you, you might be the only person that I have ever heard laughing at.